Good morning. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 24, as we continue our series through the the Gospel of Luke. You can also find the verses in the back of your bulletin. In our passage last week, we saw Jesus teaching about the humble beginnings of the kingdom of God and that entrance into the kingdom of God was through the narrow door. That narrow door is the way of humble repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this week we will continue to see that the narrow way is marked by humility, as the only way to be truly repentant is to humble oneself before God. So please follow along as I start reading in Luke chapter 14. One Sabbath, when he, being Jesus, went in to eat at the house of one of the leading Pharisees, they were watching him closely. There in front of him was a man whose body was swollen with fluid. In response, Jesus asked the law experts and the Pharisees, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. He took the man, healed him, and sent him away. And to them he said, Which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? They could find no answer to these things. He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. When you were invited by someone to a wedding banquet... Do not sit in the place of honor, because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, Give your place to this man, and then in humiliation you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He also said to the one who had invited him, When you give a lunch or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he told him, A man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who were invited, Come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married, and therefore I'm unable to come. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servants, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Master, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, and there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come here to hear from your word this morning, we pray that we would have humble hearts that receive it. Father, be at work in us by your spirit to do just that. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us hearts of faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, William Crawford 
was the name of a janitor, part of the, the cleaning staff that worked during the 1970s and 1980s at the United States Air Force Academy. Uh, if you're not from the United States, the United States Air Force Academy is a well-known military university in the United States. And now Mr. Crawford's story is well-known, not because he was a janitor, but because he was also one of the recipients of the Medal of Honor. Uh, that is the highest military award someone can receive in the United States. It's the highest military honor one can receive. Uh, the Medal of Honor is in fact typically presented personally by the President of the United States. Uh, it is a, a great honor. Well, William Crawford received the Medal of Honor for his bravery and courage during World War II, for his heroism. Uh, but he retired from the Army some 20 years following World War II, and, and after retiring, he went to quietly work as a janitor at the Air Force Academy. However, no one knew who he was. He just quietly cleaned the, the living accommodations of the students for years without anyone knowing who he was or what he had done. In fact, it was actually a student doing some research on World War II for a school assignment who came across the, the name of William Crawford and his heroics in a book about World War II. He went to ask janitor William Crawford, are you the same man? Turns out he was. Friends, this is a true story, and this is how one student described what happened next. Things were never again the same around the school. Word spread like wildfire among the students that we had a hero in our midst. Mr. Crawford, our janitor, had been presented the Medal of Honor. Students who had once passed by him with hardly a glance now greeted him with a smile and a respectful, good morning, Mr. Crawford. Those who had before left a mess for the janitor to clean up started taking it upon themselves to put things in order. Friends, why do I tell you the story of William Crawford? Because his life is an example of the humility that Jesus calls you to in these verses. He did not seek to exalt himself, but humbly served as a janitor for years before people gave him the honor that he deserved. But I also tell you the, the story of William Crawford because the attitude people originally had towards him before they figured out who he was, kind of overlooking him, maybe not paying him much attention, Friends, that's the, the same attitude many had about Jesus in his day, and many still have about Jesus in our day. Well, like the students at the Air Force Academy many, Academy, many of the people of Jesus' day failed to recognize who walked among them. God himself, the Messiah, the Eternal Son. And therefore, they did not exalt Jesus as he deserved. They did not humble themselves before him. And they did not follow him. Well, the main idea of these verses this morning is this. God invites the humble rather than the great to enter his kingdom. God invites the humble rather than the great, or you might say those who make themselves great, to enter his kingdom. I have three points to help us consider that idea this morning. The first is that God invites you to receive his wisdom. That will be from verses 1 through 6. The second, God invites you to humility. That will be verses 7 through 14. And then finally, God invites you to his kingdom. That will be verses 15 through 24. 
God invites you to receive his wisdom. God invites you to humility. And God invites you to his kingdom. So first, God invites you to receive his wisdom. Well, all of Jesus' teaching in our passage takes place at this dinner that he was invited to at the home of one of the leading Pharisees, one of the most prominent people in the city in which he was. And these first few verses really set the stage for what comes in the remainder of our text. Uh, If you were here for our sermon through Luke 13, verses 10 through 17, uh, these verses might sound very familiar. Jesus had a very similar interaction with the Pharisees in those verses when he healed a disabled woman on the Sabbath. Uh, At that time, the leader of the synagogue where Jesus had performed that healing, he grew angry that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. In response, Jesus rebuked the leader of the synagogue and the Pharisees for their lack of mercy. Because they were willing to care for their animals on the Sabbath, their ox and their donkey, but not their fellow Israelites. Again, our verses for this morning sound very similar. But in our passage today, Luke provides far fewer details on the the healing itself. There's almost nothing said about the the healing and the man healed. Friends, I believe that is because Luke and Jesus want to shine a spotlight on the opposition of the Pharisees and the religious leaders to Jesus. That's where they're placing their attention. Look at verse 1. The text says that the leading Pharisees were watching Jesus closely. They were looking for ways to discredit him. They were looking for ways to get him in trouble. In fact, it may have been that they invited this sick man to the dinner on purpose as a way to try to trap Jesus. It was the Sabbath. They were going to try to get Jesus to to do something that would violate what they at least said was the Sabbath law. This uh, sick man was not the type of person that you would expect at one of these kinds of dinners. But Jesus directly confronted both their burdensome system of rules, their legalistic religion, but also their hardness of heart. First, Jesus asked if it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath, knowing very well that they taught it was unlawful. Yet these leaders refused to answer Jesus, probably because they did not want to endure the same humiliation that was endured by the ruler of the synagogue when Jesus publicly rebuked him for his lack of mercy. These Pharisees that had gathered were proud. Jesus went ahead and healed the man. He blessed this humble, sick man. And then presented the Pharisees with the same damning question he did back in Luke 13. Which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? In other words, if you are willing to show compassion to your child or to your animal on the Sabbath day, why do you oppose me showing compassion to this man? Why do you oppose me healing and showing mercy to this man? Well, the the Pharisees may have been trying to trap Jesus, to accuse Jesus, to discredit them, but Jesus turned the tables on them. He exposed their hardness of heart instead. In response to Jesus' question, the Pharisees once again remained quiet. They were confronted with Jesus' great wisdom, his divine wisdom, his irrefutable wisdom, and they were left silent. 
Friends, there really are only two options when you are confronted with a wisdom that is greater than your own. There are really only two options when you are confronted with your own error. One, you can stubbornly refuse to listen and admit that you are wrong. We might say that you dig in your heels. You refuse to be moved, to be changed. Well, that is the way of pride. Or, second option, you can admit that you were wrong. You can listen and change. This is the way of humility. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Well, as he so often had, Jesus was once again inviting the Pharisees to humbly listen to his divine wisdom. He was encouraging them to receive his wisdom, to receive him as their Messiah. But they refused. They were watching Jesus closely. They wanted to discredit Jesus, but they were not interested in being examined or corrected themselves. And brothers and sisters, I wonder if this is not sometimes our attitude towards the way or towards the word of God. My friends, do we come to the word of God to receive his wisdom, to be corrected and convicted and changed? Friends, the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It is breathed out by God. It is authoritative and it is to stand over our lives and to direct us in the way that we should go. Friends, do we receive it? It is the Pharisees' pride and rejection of Jesus that sets the stage for what follows in this passage. That brings us to the second point of the sermon. God invites you to humility. God invites you to humility. So during Ramadan, this Ramadan, uh, His Highness Sheikh Hamid The ruler of Fajrah has opened his palace on several different evenings for members of the community to come and and bring Ramadan greetings. Uh, So earlier this week, I had the the opportunity to go over to the palace and bring greetings on behalf of the evangelical community here in Fajrah. I was there on an evening when there was probably about 50 other people. And when we arrived, we were all escorted into a large majlis and I went through a receiving line. We went through a line and we, we shook hands with Sheikh Hamid, with the Crown Prince, and with uh, several other uh, family members that were there. Well, I thought that was going to be the end of the evening, but that was not the end of the evening. Uh, afterwards, we all went and we sat on the, the couches that lined the perimeter of the majlis and uh, had tea. Uh, everyone assembled had tea with Sheikh Hamid. Well, during that, that tea, Sheikh Hamid invited one of the people present someone he must have known well, to come sit with him on his couch at the head of the room. And they spent the tea talking to one another on that couch. As for myself, I took a seat somewhere near the opposite end of the majlis, about probably from here to the the back of that room away. But friends, what do you think might have happened if instead of sitting where I did, I had gone down and sat down right beside Sheikh Hamid on his couch straight away? No invitation pretty sure things would not have gone so well for me. I'm quite certain I would have been asked to move. Maybe I would have been asked to to leave altogether. So someone far more important than me could have the honor of sitting with the sheikh. 
I'm pretty confident that I would have been publicly humiliated. Well, brothers and sisters, that is something of a real-life illustration of the first parable that Jesus tells in verses 7 through 14 of our text. Now, at this Sabbath meal with the, at this leading house of the Pharisees, a man of honor, maybe someone people would want to sit next to. They would want to be seen sitting close to him. Jesus noticed that some people chose the best seats for themselves, the, the places of great honor. They wanted to sit with the shank. In response, Jesus told them not to seek the place of honor because they may be told to make way. They may be told to, to move or someone who had been invited who was far less important than themselves. Well, this would certainly bring public shame rather than the, the honor that they were seeking. And so instead, Jesus advised that they seek the lowest place, the far end of the mattress, because then the host might take notice and give them public honor by moving them to a place of greater honor in the sight of all. Well, the, the host might say, well, friend, I want you sitting with me. And what an honor that would be. The core of Jesus' message is found in verse 11. He says that they are to do this for or because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, friends, the principle Jesus is teaching here is not this. It is not, let me strategize how to gain honor for myself. He's not saying like, hey, let me give you a little bit of a hint here. I see you really want some public praise and public recognition, but you're just going about it the wrong way. What you should really do if you want to be honored in the sight of men is, is go take a seat at the, the back, and, and then you'll get the honor that you so desperately seek. Now, friends, Jesus is not calling for a false humility. He's not calling you to put on a, a false show of humility in order to gain the honor that you desire. He's not calling you to go fishing for compliments for others by putting yourself down so that they will praise you in return. What Jesus is teaching is that you should not seek your own glory. You should not seek your own exaltation. Instead, you should be content to let others exalt you as they, say, as they see fit. Maybe they never honor you. That's okay. Your job is to humble yourself and be content with however much or however little honor comes your way. Friends, you should be okay if you do not receive the title or salary at work that you think you deserve. You should be content if your boss takes credit for the work that you really did, that he gets the praise that rightfully should have been your own. You should be content to joyfully serve behind the scenes, even if it never comes with the thanks that you rightly should have. Should not grow bitter if others do not recognize your gifts and talents. Friends, do not go searching for public praise. Do not live for the glory of man. Now, this was the example set by William Crawford, the janitor. He didn't go around saying, like, hey, I've won the Medal of Honor. I've won the Medal of Honor. 
It seems as it seems he would have been content had, had no one ever found out uh, that he had performed these acts of heroism, that he had been publicly recognized during World War II. But because he humbled himself, he probably received much greater honor from the students at the school, from the faculty and the administration of that school, than if he had gone around bragging about how great he was. I think he likely got much greater honor in the end. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Friends, if you exalt yourself in this life, prepare to be humbled. Pride goes before a fall. Pride goes before destruction. That comes from Proverbs. Now, just as I say that, I do want to be clear that Jesus is not giving a promise for life here on earth. It's often the way things work. The humble get exalted. The proud are humbled. But not always. Friends, you may, you may humble yourself and never receive the same praise and recognition as Mr. Crawford. We can probably think of thousands of examples of proud, arrogant people who only received great praise and honor in this life and never seemed to get their just desserts. What Jesus' teaching here is called a parable because he is pointing beyond just this life. He's pointing to eternal truths. Jesus is pointing to eternal realities. Friends, Jesus could give the promise that all who humble themselves will be exalted because the truth is that all those who humble themselves before Jesus, who repent of their sins, who turn from their sins, who submit to Jesus as king, who bear their cross and follow him, well, they will be exalted in the life to come. They will have a seat at the great banquet of the, of the king. They will be invited to feast at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But all those who seek their own honor and who seek the praise of man, those who in pride re refuse to listen to Jesus, refuse to humble themselves, well, they will one day be humbled and shamed because God will come to them and say, I do not know you or where you are from. Get away from me, all you evil doers. Look back at Luke 13, 27. Friends, God hates pride. God hates pride. Proverbs 16, verse 5. Everyone, everyone with a proud heart is detestable to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. James chapter 4, verse 6. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Friends, God hates pride because, as the Puritan pastor Thomas Watson put it, pride seeks to ungod God. Pride seeks to ungod God. Pride is to, to put yourself in the place of God. Pride is failing to admit that all that you have, all that you are, even the breath that you breathe are gracious gifts of God. Now, Andrew Murray writes this in his book, Humility, which I think we have there in the library in the back. He writes this. God, as the ever-living, ever-present, ever-acting one, who upholds all things by the word of his power, 
and in whom all things exist, meant that the relationship of his creatures to himself would be one of unceasing, absolute dependence. Therefore, Andrew Murray goes on to write this, humility, which is to place entire dependence on God, is from the very nature of things the first duty and the highest virtue of his creatures. Humility is the only soil. Humility is the only soil in which virtue takes root. A lack of humility is the explanation of every defect and failure. Humility alone takes the right attitude before God and allows him, as God, to do all. Brothers and sisters, the Pharisees refused to acknowledge their dependence on God. They wanted to stand on their good works. They wanted everyone to look at them and say, hey, what good rule followers they are. What great people they must be. They wanted to maintain their position in society so that they would receive the honor of men. They liked to be called one of the leading Pharisees. But because they exalted themselves, they would one day be humbled on the day of judgment. Friends, God invites the humble rather than the great to enter his kingdom. Friends, again, you cannot be saved. You cannot know the Lord unless you humble yourselves and acknowledge your complete dependence on him. You must acknowledge that you cannot, that you cannot stand on your own good works. You cannot do enough good to tip the scales in your favor. You can only stand on the blood of Jesus Christ. As Jesus has taught in, in Luke in recent weeks, you must be willing to give up everything to include your family, possessions, position, and reputation to follow Jesus. You must die to yourself. That is the road to humility. Brothers and sisters, when we gather together in corporate worship each week, we come to acknowledge our dependence on God, to give him the praise and glory rather than ourselves. Friends, when you go and, and turn to the Lord in Bible reading and prayer each and every day, well, hopefully you, you do that often. You're acknowledging your dependence on the Lord. I need to hear from his word. I need to, to commune with him in prayer. I do not live to myself. I live for another. I live by another. To once again quote Andrew Murray, he writes this. If you would enter into full fellowship with Christ in his death and know the full deliverance from self, humble yourself. This is your duty. Place yourself before God in your helplessness. Consent to the fact that you are powerless to slay yourself. Give yourself in patient and trustful surrender to God. Accept every humiliation. Look upon every person who tries or troubles you as a means of grace to humble you. But friends, if you allow yourself to be humbled, you have the wonderful promise, the wonderful assurance that you will one day be exalted with Christ. Those, all those who share in Jesus' earthly humility will share in his eternal glory and exaltation. And all those who share in Jesus' humility on earth will share in his eternal glory and exaltation for all time. 
My friends, Jesus went on to tell a second parable about humility in our passage. He told those who hosted a banquet or feast that they should not invite friends, relatives, or rich neighbors to their great dinners. Instead, they should invite the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. And Jesus gave the reason why in verse 12, which is the key to understanding this parable. Jesus taught that your motivation is the key. He's concerned with your heart. He was saying it is not necessarily wrong to invite your rich neighbor to dinner, but you should not do so for the purpose that your neighbor might invite you back and you would be repaid. In other words, do not think, ah, I'll invite my rich neighbor over to have some hot dogs at my house because I bet next week he's going to invite me back to have some filet mignon. Uh, Jesus is saying, no, that would be the, the wrong motivation. That is proud. You're seeking to serve yourself. Well, Jesus was teaching that true humility and true love and true service towards others is demonstrated in a willingness to serve others and love others without any expectation. Without any expectation of receiving something in return. Well, the poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame... My friends, those are people that likely cannot do anything in return to you if you serve them. They can't do anything to repay you for your humble care and love of them. This doesn't mean these are the only people that you are allowed to serve as a Christian, that you like, can't have anybody over to dinner unless they fall into one of those categories. Jesus is teaching that you should serve out of a genuine love that desires to give to others, that desires to pour yourself out to others rather than to serve just in order to receive something from others. And church, I think this is something that if we're honest with ourselves, we can say that we all struggle with this. We all do things for others in the hopes of being repaid. We're tempted to show favoritism to the rich or influential or maybe those that we want to have a, a relationship with uh, because we are hoping that they're going to do something nice for us in return. Give us the attention we desire. And maybe if uh, we're friends with them, we'll, uh, other people will look on us more favorably. Friends, maybe it's your goal to marry someone rich. Have your kids marry someone rich. And kids and teenagers, maybe you act really nice to your parents and do a lot of chores only when you want them to do something for you or buy something for you. Ah, there's a nice toy. All of a sudden, your behavior gets quite a lot better. Our friends, we uh, want to network with people and build friendships with people who might be able to get us a job. Often happy to ignore those who can't do anything for us. We often hold others in our debt if we have done something for them. We're tempted to be bitter towards those that we've served if we perceive that they have not returned the favor. If they haven't been as good to me as, as I think that I've been to them. We're tempted to, to grow bitter. Brothers and sisters, what is the motivation for your good deeds? What is your motivation for doing the things that you do? And notice from these parables how easy it is to disguise your pride with a fake humility. And our pride, we can just go put ourselves at the, the lowest seat simply for the purpose of getting someone to exalt us. We can serve others simply from a motivation to be served ourselves. You can look good on the outside, 
but we're really doing it just to get something in return. Friends, it is your motivation that matters. It is your heart that matters. That's what we've seen in all of Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees. And Jesus doesn't care about the outside. He cares about the heart. He cares about your motivation. Now, friends, the truth is that our motives will always be somewhat mixed on this side of heaven. You are probably never going to do something for someone else from a 100% pure motives on this side of heaven. Friends, the flesh is powerful. We are tempted to our own glory. But nevertheless, Jesus can strengthen us and grow us by his spirit to, to serve more from a heart from others than for our own glory. Friends, as we seek to faithfully have pure motives, he forgives those Motives that maybe we don't even know within ourselves that are secretly looking for our own glory. Friends, we're to to strive to serve out of pure motives. To confess the times that we know we're really being selfish and we're doing something for ourselves. We're to strive to serve not that we be repaid, but out of a pure love for others and a love for our Savior. Again, Jesus is giving a parable here. He's not just pointing to earthly realities, but ultimately eternal ones. Friends, the truth is that we can take this same prideful attitude into our relationship with God. And friends, what is your motivation for following the Lord or obeying the Lord? What's your motivation for coming to church? Do you serve God simply in the hope or expectation that he's going to reward you with like more money, a better job, good health? Friends, that is the error of the prosperity gospel. The false gospel of the prosperity gospel teaches that if you just have enough faith, God's going to reward you with earthly blessings. It's the reason you should follow the Lord. I got enough faith, I'm going to get something from God in return. Friends, that is not biblical Christianity. It is a false gospel because it effectively teaches that you should only follow God in order to get stuff from God. He's like your uh, heavenly Santa Claus. You only have uh, faith in order for God to repay you. However, that is not the message of Christianity. Look at verse 14. We are to serve others not with the expectation of being repaid in this life. No, we serve and give freely confident that the Lord rewards those who are faithful with an eternal inheritance at the resurrection of the righteous. Friends, the prosperity gospel does get one thing right. The Lord is a rewarder of those who seek him. But they set their sights too low. The Lord does not promise earthly blessings to those who follow him. But those who remain faithful to him, those who have been saved by his grace, he promises an inheritance that has been laid up and kept in heaven for you. And it is the hope of the eternal reward that motivates our obedience to the Lord. It's not a promise of earthly blessings. And friends, do not let that word repaid fool you. Do not let that word repaid fool you. Friends, your entrance into the kingdom, your eternal reward is not a reward that you will have earned. It will be a lavish gift of God's grace that was purchased at the cross. Friends, you will be repaid with a gift that you did not deserve. 
eternal fellowship with our Creator God. Friends, the, the reward of Christianity is not stuff. The reward of Christianity is not like a better job, a slightly better life here on, on earth, material comfort. The reward of Christianity is not stuff. It is God himself. And the ultimate hope of the Christian faith is a future hope. The Bible says that Jesus endured the cross for you, for the joy that was set before him, his future glory. He endured the cross in humility, and now God has highly exalted him, giving him the name that is above every name. On this earth, he was despised and rejected. But he will be worshipped and adored for all eternity. And he's even now sitting at God's right hand, ruling and reigning. Well, church, you can likewise endure earthly trials. You can likewise endure shame. You can endure a lack of praise and recognition. A lifetime of being poor, lamed, or blind. Because you have the promise that if you suffer for Jesus now, you will be glorified with him for all eternity. For Brother Bijou suffered greatly in cancer, but he has been glorified with Jesus for all eternity. Hebrews 11:6. Now without faith it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Friends, he rewards those who seek him with himself. He rewards them with eternal life. And that brings us to the third point of the sermon. God invites you to his kingdom. Look again with me at, at verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he told him, A man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, Come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all begin to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married and therefore I am unable to come. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Master, the servant said, what you ordered has been done and there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who are invited will enjoy my banquet. Kids, youth, what would you do if you were invited to Legoland? Or maybe Wild Wadi? Others, adults, what would you uh, do if you were invited free of cost to the World Cup final? Or maybe dinner with your favorite musician or movie star? Friends, pretty sure the answer is that you would drop everything to go. You would reorder your entire life, if at all possible, in order to go. Now that is Jesus' point in this parable. But one of those eating with Jesus seemed to understand that Jesus had been speaking of eternal things. So he said, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus took that opportunity to speak of entrance into the kingdom of God. The banquet invitation in Jesus' parable represents God's divine invitation into his kingdom. 
A banquet represents the eternal marriage supper of the Lamb. Notice in verse 16 that many were invited to the banquet. The host sent something like save the date invitations out to many. But when the day of the banquet came, everything was, was ready. And the master's servants went to call everyone to the banquet, and they all made various excuses as to why they could not come. Yeah, some had family reasons, and some had work reasons. Well, why did they make these excuses? Because the banquet was not that important to them. They did not feel that honored to, to be invited. If they had felt honored to be invited, I mean, they would have rearranged their whole life in, in order to attend. They would have like, moved the marriage date, they would have delayed the, the purchase of their, of their ox. Well, the reason they did not feel honored is because the host was not that important to them. Jesus was not that important to them. Remember that, that change that came upon the students when they realized who William Crawford was. Friends, the, the same thing is true when you realize who Jesus is. Therefore, this parable of the banquet is a rebuke of the nation of Israel, particularly its leaders, the the Pharisees. They had been extended an invitation, a a save the date, if you will. They had been given God's word, his law, his promises, his prophets. The whole of the Old Testament pointed forward to the Messiah to, to come. They were told to be prepared for the coming of the kingdom. Like, be ready. The day is coming. Save the date. And now all things had been made ready. Jesus had come. The kingdom was here. Final invitation had gone out. Friends, what you've been waiting for has arrived. But they made excuses. Jesus the king was not important to them. That banquet didn't seem so great. And so in their pride, they refused to come. Remember Luke chapter 13, verse 34. Jerusalem. Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. But friends, also do not forget the unstoppable nature of God's kingdom that we thought about last week. The refusal of Israel's leaders to come in no way stopped God's kingdom. In fact, it was part of his plan. As a result of their refusal to come to the banquet, the invitation to God's kingdom went out farther and wider. It went out to the poor, the blind, the maimed, and the the lame. Well, that's a reference to both the poor and lame of Israel, like this man who comes and was healed by Jesus. But even further out, it, it points to the Gentile nations, those who were not part of the covenant of Israel originally. This is how the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans chapter 12, verse 11. By their, Israel's transgression, in other words, their rejection of Jesus, by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Romans 12, 25. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Friends, in God's sovereign plan, he has used the rejection of Israel to bring salvation to the nations. To bring salvation to people like you and I. There is a partial hardening under Israel, but not a full hardening. Though Israel's leaders rejected Jesus, the poor and the lame of Israel flocked to him. They flocked to their Savior. 
God is even now preserving a small remnant of faithful Jews who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And those passages in Romans hint that there may be a day when many Jewish people come to salvation in the, in the last days. One day after the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. But in God's sovereign wisdom, Israel's rejection of Jesus has led God to invite the Gentiles, you and me, to enter in. Friends, there is an open invitation to all people to respond to the good news of the gospel. The invitation has gone out to all. It is not, not what we see in verses 23 and 24 of our text. Those originally invited, but who refused the invitation, Israel, would be cut off from the kingdom of heaven. The proud would be excluded from the kingdom. But because of their refusal, there is room for many more. The call of the gospel has gone out to all nations. God's house, his kingdom, it will be filled. And the invitation to enter God's kingdom has been extended to all, to all people, Jew and, and Gentile alike. It's been extended to you. You must respond to the invitation. You must come. If you harden your heart in pride, friends, you too will be excluded from the banquet. God invites the humble rather than the great to enter his kingdom. And so, friends, if you are here and, and not a Christian, I just want to ask, what is your excuse for ignoring Jesus' invitation? What pride is present in your life that is keeping you away? And perhaps you're ashamed to admit your own sin. Maybe you pretended to be a Christian for a, a long time and you're afraid to admit that you really are not. You're, you're afraid of what, what others are going to think about you if uh, you come in humble repentance. Maybe your pride leads you to believe that you're good enough on your own. Hey, you don't really need Jesus. You're such an important person. You've lived pretty good. Surely when the day of the banquet comes, I'm going to be fine. But friends, notice the characteristics of those who entered into the banquet. They were poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Friends, that is a description of all of us in our sin, without exception. You are the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. So am I. We are weak and wounded, sick and sore. Friends, when someone dies, have you ever heard someone say something like this? Like, heaven gained a good one. Or God must have needed them more in heaven than he, he needed them on earth. As if the person who died somehow added something to heaven. Made it better. As if like God needed them. But friends, I think we can be sympathetic to the, the, to the sentiment, to the love that uh, those people had for the individual who died. Friends, those sentiments are just not true. God did not extend his invitation to you because you could repay him. He did not invite you because he needed you. He did not call you to come because you could add something to him. No, you are poor, maimed, blind, and lame. You add nothing. It is all of grace. Friends, salvation is all of grace from first to last. Friends, our Savior Jesus Christ, he came to serve and not be served. That's what we think about on Palm Sunday, right? That he came in humbly. Riding on a donkey, he entered Jerusalem on a, on a donkey, humbly. 
Jesus humbled himself by giving up the glory of heaven to come to earth as a man and die on the cross to forgive us of our sins, to save and redeem a people who did not deserve it. He came to serve us, not because we deserved it, not because we could repay him, but because he loves us. Since we do not deserve a place in the kingdom, and yet God invites us anyway. And friends, really, God does more than just invite us weak and wounded sinners into the kingdom. He compels us to come. Do you notice verses 21 and 23, that when the master sent his servants out to the streets and the alleys and the highways and the hedges, that he instructed his servants to make them come in so that my house may be filled. Friends, our sin is so great that we would not accept God's invitation unless he compelled us to come. Our coming is a sovereign work of God. He must compel us by his spirit to turn to him in repentance and faith. John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. It is only God's power that can overcome our hearts of stone, get rid of every excuse that we might have, Salvation is a gift of God's grace from first to last. Uh, Church, I pray that these verses will lead you to praise God this morning for his marvelous grace. To thank him for a, a salvation that you did not deserve. To praise Jesus who came as a humble Savior and King. Friends, I also pray that you'll be so overwhelmed by God's grace that you will be led to tell others. To invite others to come to the banquet. And eat. To tell them that the invitation is open. Brothers and sisters, like the servant in the parable, you have been sent into the streets and alleys and highways and hedges with the good news of the gospel. Jesus has given you that commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Friends, there is still room. The banquet hall is not full. So go and tell of God's marvelous grace. And friends, if you are not a Christian, know that that invitation is still open. There is still room. Humble yourselves while there is still time. Accept God's invitation and enter in. Let's pray.